Hi, I'm Chrissy. And I'm Carrie. And we are Status Macabre. Welcome, welcome. Yes. So glad that you guys could uh, join us. Yes, and we have some new equipment, and we, do. we will, fingers crossed, not have any more freaking technical issues. God, yeah, fingers crossed, because I am tired of that. It was probably a couple of hours, yep. two different days of bullshit. Yeah, yep. straight up bullshit. But today, we are in my office at work. So it's like a little mini field trip. There's nothing going on. There may be some people that come outside the conference room. They're like, what the fuck is going, going on, on in there? <laughs> yeah, a little mini field trip for me downtown, which is like 25-minute drive from yeah, that. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know that we have any really business to discuss, do we? No, just you know, wanted to put a disclaimer out there. Listener discretion is advised. Content may not be suitable for young adults, for adults, and even for children. And with this episode specifically, I know you'll speak a little more about it, but there is just some nastiness that's going on with some young kids. So yeah, keep we're, that in mind. Yeah, we're, we're talking about the murder of children. So if you are not down with any child crime, you may want to skip this episode. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, no, it, it really isn't good. So today we're talking about Susan Smith. Well, Susan Vaughn Smith, I yeah. should say. Um, Susan Smith is in jail. She's convicted. So I'm going to kind of spoil it for you guys for a second. But um, she is convicted of murdering her two children in the most horrific way. So she's right where she needs to be as far as I'm concerned. Actually, probably not exactly where <laughs> she needs to be, but very close enough. Very close. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Susan Smith, she was born in September on the 26th in 1971 in the town of Union, South Carolina. And so Union, just so you know, is it's a really small town. It's up in the north part of uh, South Carolina. And it's got a population of about 9,000 and deemed as the city of hospitality. Interesting. I know. They're, I am. they're hospitable people. I remember uh, a story when I was in high school of some happenings in Union that I would not say was very hospitable. Some gatherings. We'll just say there were oh, some those gatherings. those kind of gatherings. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Okay. Straight up awkward. Well, that is horrible. So um, moving right along. Linda Vaughn is... Susan's mom, and she is a homemaker. Her dad's name was Harry Ravon, and he was a firefighter and a winder at a textile mill. So I think he took thread or yarn or something and put yeah. it on a. That's thing. the best thing I, I got him. I should have googled that before. Oh yeah, I should have done that. But I, you know, I figured that was. I had more important, right? <laughs> All the technical minor details. Minor details. Like, <laughs> All right. Anyway, so Linda had a son named Michael, who they called Mo, from a previous relationship. And then she had Susan and Scotty um, okay. with Harry. So there were three siblings, and Susan was the youngest. Got it. And they lived in, on Singler, Sigler, excuse me, Road, which is outside of downtown Union. Um, and they lived really modestly. After 17 years of marriage to Harry, Linda asked for a divorce. And Harry was just devastated by the divorce and moved out into a housing development and began drinking really heavily. That's sad. It is. Harry was good looking and really nice and uh, everyone really liked him. Did they say why 
Linda she, wanted a divorce? Honestly, no, it did not. It just said that she was done and wanted a divorce. So who knows? Their divorce was final on December 7th, 1977. And on the 15th of January of 78, I guess he had just had enough. He took a shotgun and shot himself in the stomach. With and, a shotgun? Yeah. Many people believe that he didn't actually mean to kill himself. He was just kind of doing one of those, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And maybe trying to hurt himself. Right. And then. But messed up. I mean, obviously it was, you know, he shot himself in the stomach. And the reason why they were saying that he did it on accident was because he had called 911. Before he did it? Before he, no, before he died. Oh. And so. Because, uh, yeah, because can you imagine that kind of pain? Yep. yep. He had called for help like minutes before he died. You know, it was just too late. And he, he had died two months before his 35th birthday. Oh, wow. Which is, is really sad. Yeah. But that really affected Susan. Very much so. And shortly after Harry's death, Linda, her mom, remarried a guy named Beverly Russell. Shortly after. Shortly after, yes. And Beverly Russell was like from a really prominent family. And he was very well known in the city of Union. So something that I have to remind myself of mm -hmm. while we're going through this is Beverly is a man's name. Oh, I know. In the story. I know. I had to back up when I originally read it. And I was yeah. like, oh, shit. That's when, a dude. When I was reading it the other day, I was like, shit, this is a typo. What's the way? Beverly. There's no man named Beverly. Eh, wrong answer. Yeah. No. I think it's, like, it's just a very old Southern name. Yeah. It's a family name. Yeah. So he owned an appliance store in downtown Union. He was really wealthy. And he had several daughters from a previous marriage. And like I said, he was very well known. He was a Democrat, but eventually turned Republican and joined the Republican Executive uh, Committee. And so he was, I don't know what caused him to turn Republican, but, you know, down south, there are probably more Republicans than there are Democrats, especially in the state of South Carolina. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. Um, and he was also on the advisory board of the Christian Coalition. Interesting. Yeah, which is, you're really going to be shocked about what you find out about this guy. So uh, keep that in mind. Anyway, they lived in a large three-bedroom house. And it was on Heathwood Road, which is in a really affluent neighborhood in Mount Vernon Estates in Union. So she goes from living modest... Yep. to being a little more on the affluent side. Oh, very. And yes. moves into the estates. Exactly. I know in my parents' neighborhood, there's a section of the estates. You know, it would take me six lifetimes to <laughs> afford a house right. in the estates. So, <laughs> goody for them. So, Susan, uh, when she was young, excelled in elementary school. In high school, she was a member of the Beta Club. She was also part of the Math and Spanish and Red Cross clubs. Oh, wow. So she was very, uh, I think, a perfectionist is yeah. what I would call her, just based off of what I know thus far. She was voted the friendliest female in Union High School, and she was always smiling. She was cheerful. She was really driven and down to earth is what, you know, people said. Per another male classmate, all the guys actually wanted Susan. She wore mini skirts and clothes that really flattered her figure. She was kind of short. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say like toothpick thin or anything like that. But, but shapely, she was, probably. She was shapely. Yeah. And yeah. And she knew how to accentuate. Exactly. Her shape. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's 
Susan for you. Yeah. So in 1988, Susan went to her counselor saying that her stepfather molested her. So we're, we're now talking about Bev, Beverly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He molested her. The counselor reported it to the DSS. So DSS, for those of you who don't know, that's South Carolina. That is the Department of Social Services. Yeah. And someone there called the sheriff. According to previously like a secret record that's been sealed from a state family court in the South Carolina family court, Beverly Russell began molesting Susan when she was about 15. While Russell was the aggressor, the case files actually suggest that Susan led him on, which I don't agree with that. I, I mean, she's, it. well, yeah, but she's still fucking 15. I definitely believe that she was flaunting herself in front of him and probably enjoyed the attention. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Knowing what I know now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wouldn't disagree with that, but still, it doesn't make it Somebody right. Somebody has to be the adult, though. You think? So Linda Russell told a social worker that Susan told her. Beverly was sitting in the chair watching TV, and Susan got in his lap and went to sleep. Then he slid her bra up and fondled her breast and took her hand and put it on his penis. Hashtag awkward. Kind of. It, I just want to vomit. How does a 15-year-old crawl up in your lap? Anyway, Beverly did not deny that this occurred and said he felt like some kind of pervert when it happened. You think? How do you not feel like a fucking pervert? I can vividly remember when I was young. Yeah. Probably not even 10 years old. Okay. Less than less than that. My dad literally saying, no, you can't sit on my oh, lap. Oh, okay. Like I no, thought this can't. was going to take a turn. No. No. <laughs> no. I mean, he, but my dad was very much like, you know, it's, this doesn't it's look not right. Appropriate. It's not appropriate. You're getting too old for this. You know, that. Exactly. I vividly remember him saying that to me. Yeah. So Beverly did not deny that it occurred to the court. He signed a statement admitting his wrongdoing and the family sought counseling. But Susan and Linda said they did not wish to prosecute. So Susan and her mother. Yeah, I was getting ready to say, I don't know that it was Susan who made the decision not to prosecute because she's 15. What kind of decision can she make relative to that? Probably a coerced one. Absolutely. Right. And, and and as a mother, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to chop your dick off if you touch my child. Yeah. It, it You would have been dead. Sorry. Yeah. So Detective William Jolly of the Union Police attempted to investigate, but Susan and her mother, Linda, insisted, you know, they were not going to pursue it any further and no criminal charges were ever filed. There was a court agreement made between Beverly Russell's attorney and the solicitor, and the court sealed the file in 1988. Which means nobody can exactly. see it. Nope. Does, nobody knew. But nobody has access to it, meaning like a judge or an attorney couldn't even see it if it's sealed? Or just the public can't see it? I don't it. think, yeah. So I don't, the public isn't able to see that at all. That's interesting because I would love to see what was in that sealed file. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it, to me, it's just disgusting. The whole thing is disgusting. You're, you know, part of the Christian coalition you're supposed to be this what is upstanding dude and well you're just a fucking hypocrite that's my oh yeah that's absolutely. my problem absolutely that's my problem with it absolutely anyway in that same year susan became a cashier at winn dixie and within six months she became a lead cashier and then a bookkeeper so she she had a really good work ethic despite everything that was you know going on at home and the molestation yeah 
which likely continued. Oh yeah, just you just wait. Yeah. So it was at uh, Win Dixie that Susan became friends with David Smith, who she knew in high school. He was one year ahead of her and really straight as an arrow, meaning he didn't smoke or drink. He didn't do anything that was just wrong. Yeah, just like a good old boy. Yeah. Like what I would envision like a young kid from Union. Yep. yep. He absolutely like, was that. Yeah. He was absolutely that. Susan was secretly seeing a married man, though, during this time. And while she was, yeah, while David was <laughs> dating his high school girlfriend, so okay. they had they had separate relationships. Um, the guy that Susan was seeing would talk about their relation to David and another guy. So unfortunately, though, things turned out. Susan got pregnant with the married man's baby and had to have an abortion. Right. So she was 18 years old, deeply depressed. So she took an overdose of aspirin and anison. So I. I, had I to remember go, Anison. I know. I had to go look it up. And then I was like, oh, yeah. So Anison is actually a mixture of aspirin and caffeine. I think they would tell me way back when I was little, yep. when I get migraines, that that take, would be the one to take. Take because, an Anison. Uh, yeah. Yep. She was admitted into the hospital where doctors learned it wasn't her first attempt at suicide. So apparently she had tried like one time before that when she was 13. I don't have the details of what that was, but yeah. she did attempt suicide more than one occasion. It was at this time that David became a lot fonder of Susan and then they started dating. Although co-workers at Winn-Dixie felt like David probably just wasn't a good enough for her. Really? Yeah. And not the other way around, which I found fascinating because I thought, you know, she's a piece of shit from. <laughs> well, she's definitely a piece of work. And yeah. well, just... maybe at that time, you know, I think everybody thought very highly of her because she had money. Well, and she portrayed herself as a perfectionist. She mm. had a good work ethic. And so, I'm, you know, at this point in time during her life, you know, and I don't know that a lot of people knew about her dating a married man. I don't, you know, and they may have felt sorry for, you know, from the molestation. Yeah. I just think, you know, they thought David just wasn't good enough for her and meaning maybe not person or maybe not, uh, you know, money wise. Right. You right. know. So uh, they filled out a marriage license on uh, Valentine's Day in 1991. And then a month later, they got married. So they are married on March 15th. Susan actually was pregnant at the time with her oldest son, Michael Daniel, who was born on October 10th, 1991. So let's talk a little bit about David Michael Smith, who is Susan's husband. Uh-huh. And Susan's husband, he was born on July 27th, 1970, and he was born in Michigan. Um, he was, again, described by, as a great guy, hardworking, and everyone just really, really, really liked him. Like, just a really nice guy. Yeah, he was. Um, I've heard later reports, though, he just is not the best husband. He can't keep his eyes from wandering. Oh. So, like, right now, he's married but estranged. Okay. Um, with multiple children. You mean currently like in today? Like today. Yeah. Oh. 2021. Um, and he actually, he had a child by a woman he married and then had an affair while he was married and got another woman pregnant. So, oh, so, you know, I'm not saying he's not a nice guy. He's been through a lot as we'll see, but you know, 
for all outward appearances, you know, while he was younger and married to Susan, he was, he was a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, and everyone really, really liked him. Flipping back to Susan, um, she was, again, outward appearances. Yeah. She was a very caring and loving mother. Um, when she took Michael to his first haircut, she took a camcorder and, you know, filmed him, you know, trying to calm him down by kissing and loving on him. She even saved the lots of his hair. I've done that. Yeah. I have my children's hair and their um, baby books. I have my children's teeth. teeth. I yeah. do too. I've got a couple. <laughs> like some people think that's creepy, but no. Yeah, no, no, no. My mom has mine. So after the birth of Michael, um, it was Alexander Tyler is their second child. And he was born on August 5th, 1993. And shortly afterward, the marriage began to sour. That's unfortunate. It is. In 1994, Susan O'Michael started discussing divorce. David was served papers on September 21st, 1994, asking for a divorce on the grounds of adultery. So, I mean, I think that's kind of a running theme with them. Yeah. Is, you know, they just can't stop looking at other people, maybe. Right. I don't know. Susan was granted full custody of the boys, with David having very liberal visitation as long as David provided a 48 hours notice, which is not bad. You know, there's a lot of people who are yeah. just... Yeah. You know, there's just always a fight you whenever can you see go. them oh, yes. Friday at six and then bring them back to me Sunday at six. Yes. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Horrible. I know that's hard on kids. So David was also ordered to pay $115 a week in child support along with $112 a month for insurance. So, you know, he, he took good care of his kids. Yeah. A year before the breakup, Susan began working as an assistant to the executive secretary for J. Carey Finley. Now, he's the president and CEO of Conso Product Company. Um, they ask. create products for, like, decorating and stuff like that. They make products. <laughs> really Sorry. good. That was a... Took you, took you a bit to come up with that, didn't you? <laughs> it took all day. <laughs> anyway, so while working at Conso... Susan fell in love with one of J. Carey Finley's three sons. She just fell flat out in love with this guy. Oh, absolutely. Head over heels in Head love. Head over heels. Well, has... Which I guess we'll see. Oh, yeah. It's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an interesting situation here. So Tom Finley is 27 years old, or was at the time, mm -hmm. and he grew up in an upscale area in Birmingham, Alabama called Mountain Brook. He graduated from Auburn in 1990 and then moved to Union to head up the graphics art department of Conso. He was known to the women of Union as, quote-unquote, the catch. Now, so, did you take a look at this guy? I did. Was he... You know, I could see where women might find him charming, because he apparently was very charming. He had a lot of money. Yeah. Um, he was a little balding on the top at 27 years old. He's not my type, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I could see where women might go ooh and ah. Especially if he's wealthy. It, well, right. Several things can be overlooked. Exactly. <laughs> For the right amount of cash. <laughs> guy is butt ugly. But he's got a lot of money. He's got a buttload. Yeah. So, um, and and he is really considered the reason why she killed her children. Yeah. That's got to be like a hard, can you imagine being that person? Oh, yeah. Forever and ever. Like you would think about that every day. My name's Tom Finley. Oh, you mean the oh, reason why Susan Smith killed her? Yeah. Yeah. Killed her kids. 
anyway, he was he was considered a real ladies' man whose mission in life was servicing these women. And he literally said that. Okay, so Tom actually um, felt like Susan was really possessive and super needy. So she kind of, he kind of kicked her out right. early. So on uh, October 18th, he wrote a Dear Susan letter, which I'm going to call it a Dear Jane letter. Mm -hmm. But um, he said, Dear Susan, this is a difficult letter to write because I know how much you think of me. You are intelligent, beautiful, sensitive, and possess many other wonderful qualities that I and many other men appreciate. You will, without a doubt, make some lucky man a great wife, but unfortunately, it won't be me. Susan, I could really fall for you, but like I have told you before, there are some things about you that aren't suited for me, and yes, I am speaking about your children. Susan, I am not mad about what happened at the hot tub party, which, pause, because I was going to... We'll, we'll talk I'm, about that in just I'm a second. I'm literally putting a question mark over hot that part. Yeah, give me now. one second. <laughs> but seeing you kiss another man, which should answer your question, yeah, put things back into perspective. I would hate for people to perceive you as an unreputable person. If you want to catch a nice guy like me one day, you have to act like a nice girl. Yeah, but he's saying two different things. Oh, yeah. It's the kids. Oh, I know. He and might as well just come also... out and say, I don't like your kids. I don't want to be a dad. But, well, you know, not, I really didn't like it when you were making out with that dude. Right. Like, maybe not I don't like your kids, but I don't see <laughs> right. myself. Right. I have to deal with that shit right now. I'm too young. I'm 27. Right. So, Susan was furious about the breakup and went off on him. On the evening of October 24th, Susan met with her best friend Donna at a local bar where Tom Finley was already seated at the bar with his friends. So, Donna and Susan sat a couple of seats away, ordered some drinks. Susan was clearly still upset as she didn't even speak to Tom, even though Tom put their drinks on his tab. The next day, on October 25th, Susan attended a company luncheon at a restaurant in the next town. And although she sat next to Tom, they didn't even speak. It's awkward. I know, wouldn't it? I'm sitting next to this dude. One, and... I don't think I would sit next to him. But if I did, I wouldn't. I would have a conversation with him. Well, I mean... I don't know. I mean, if you're trying to give him the cold short, short, I wouldn't sit next to him. I wouldn't sit right next to him. Well, maybe she did that on purpose though. Some women are like that. She's a bitch. Oh yeah. No, she is a bitch. So, um, so co-workers said that she was not herself that afternoon and ate very little at the luncheon. And upon returning to work, she was nearly in tears. She told a supervisor she needed to leave early. Did they say why she was in tears or did we just assume that it was, I mean, I'm assuming because she's got Tom sitting right here. You know, and he's ignoring her. You know, she's ignoring him. It was probably just a, you know, stressful, you know, situation. Too much, too much for her to handle. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. So that e evening at approximately nine o'clock Eastern, Susan Smith ran to the house of Shirley and Rick McLeod, screaming hysterically that someone had hijacked her car with her kids inside. This is where the story takes a really bad turn. So this is where we want to caution all of our Yeah, listeners. trigger warning, guys. Yeah, trigger warning. So the narrative on the report said that a black man wearing a dark-colored toboggan cap, a plaid jacket, blue jeans, and a dark-colored shirt, and armed with a handgun, entered Susan's 1990 Burgundy Mazda Protégé while she was stopped at a stoplight at the intersection of Monarch Highway. He told her to drive 
or I will kill you and had her drive northeast on Highway 49, just below the John D. Long Lake. Then he told her to stop and then ordered her to exit the car at gunpoint. So this whole thing is going down, supposedly, yeah. while he's got a gun in her his hand saying, drive or I'm going to kill you. Mm -hmm. And then they're driving to the lake. When she asked him about getting her children out, this guy says, I don't have time. I won't hurt them. And then the guy just sped off. Come on. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, immediate reaction. Mm -hmm. A lot of immediate reaction that we, we'll talk about in a minute. But, I mean, she's hauling ass to these this guy, this you know, the McLeod's house. Slams yep. in there, like, yep. freaking out. She's bounding on the door. Putting a show on. Yep. And... She's got Rick McLeod, or, you know, Shirley's husband, like, calling police and, you know, saying she's hysterical. Mm -hmm. You know, please get over here. She said some black man took her car totally and her kids are inside. Yeah. Right. And she's pouring tears, shaking. Mm -hmm. Shirley says she's shaking, freaking out, and she's trying to calm the girl down. Yeah. So, yeah. more than 10 sheriff's deputies came the night of the incident to look for the car, um, and the children, you know, the night of the carjacking. The next morning, Sheriff Howard Wells pulled together a massive manhunt, which also included SLED, which is the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. Um, so that's at the state level. Yeah. As well as the FBI. Which is at the even, United States. Right. right you're like, going so even higher because it's a kidnapping and all kidnappings mm -hmm. are under federal jurisdiction. Shirley and Rick McLeod were extreme supporters of Susan and felt like there was no way in hell that she could have been lying about what happened the night of October 25th. Right. Absolutely no way. So police immediately began searching for the children all over the county. They also brought in divers to begin searching a canal in Lockhart, which is a town really close to Union, and scouring the bottom of John D. Lake. Unfortunately... Experts had made a really big assumption. They assumed that anyone trying to get rid of a car would drive it into the water like super fast. Right. No one thought that the driver of the Mazda would simply just let the car roll down the ramp. Well, I mean, and like, into the water. I don't clearly am not forensics or any of that, but I would be like, yeah, let's put this. Let's let's put right. this. Let's, Let's hit the emergency brake and put a brick on the gas pedal and then yeah, let you're, her rip. you're going. Right. So even though it may sound logical for a car at high speed, like it would go out further in a let you know, a body of yeah. water than a car that rolled slowly into the water, the opposite is actually true. The faster the car hits the water, the more waves it creates. Um, stopping the forward momentum. So a car going at a high speed would hit the water like a ton of bricks and just drop. It would just, just drop. Yeah. It makes sense now that right. you say it, you know. A car driven slowly would likely roll into the water and drift further out. So it's it's going to it's going to take, you know, bobble for a little bit and then it's going to sink. So I have actually seen that happen um, real life, not in this particular instance, but oh, nice. I have seen my dad's truck. I don't know if I told right, you, yeah. but we, my brother sunk my dad's truck in the lake and it rolled <laughs> so 
slowly down the ramp and then out into the little. And it just kind of floated like a oh, duck. Dude, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, you know what? Or if I were your dad, there, there were no kids in the car. Yeah. Let me oh, just. What? Right. <laughs> there were no kids Let's in the car. Let's be very clear. Yeah. So on October 29th, the Union Daily Times started reporting that Susan may be lying mm-hmm. <laughs> as they got wind of her polygraph results. Susan's polygraph results came back inconclusive, showing the greatest deception when asked the question, do you know where your children are? Do you know where your children are? And clearly she failed that really badly. Because she's saying, no, I don't. Yeah. But she 100% knows where they are. And I don't know. uh, It's a lot. Yes. The breathing and your heart heart rate. There's a lot of things that they. Yep. They're measuring all kinds of things. So she told investigators that that there was no other cars around at the Monarch intersection and that the black man had just hopped in her car when the light was red. But what investigators knew that she, I think, forgot, having grown up in Union and not thinking about it, the light is actually permanently green in that intersection. Right. Unless a car is on the cross um, street and actually triggers the switch. Yeah. So if there had been no other cars around, the light would have never turned red. Right. So right then and there. So then why the hell would you have stopped? Right. So right then and there, investigators knew she was full of shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So she had also said that they already had a hunch. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah, they already... Felt like there was something off. Yeah, based on what you're saying. Right, because they couldn't find the car anywhere. And Where the fuck's the car? She's like, of course, right. I would fail a polygraph. Let me just tell you, even if I wasn't guilty. Oh, I know. It, I've I would, always thought about that. I would absolutely fail. Yeah. There's no way. Is the sky blue? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. particles and why are you asking me? Water and sun and maybe. <laughs> <laughs> she also said that when she was hijacked, she had been on her way to her friend Mitchell's house. Who is actually her best friend, Donna Garner's fiance. So she was headed over to some dude's house with her kids, supposedly. Supposedly. But when Mitchell was asked, he said that there was absolutely no plans for Susan to come over. In fact, he wasn't even home on Tuesday at 9 o'clock. So, you know, there's strike number two. Yeah. She also said that she had been at Walmart before 9 o'clock shopping with the children. But when they canvassed Walmart talking to people that worked that evening, no one there remembered seeing her. What is it with your stories and the trips to Walmart before they commit some murder? We are in South Carolina. (laughs) Where'd you go? We went to the Walmarts. We did the Walmarts. (laughs) My grandma says it like that. I know. My grandmother says Kroger's. Okay. There's a nest on things for some reason. (laughs) I love it. When they asked Susan, she said she really wasn't at Walmart. All right. I fessed up. She was just driving for hours with the boys in the back seat, and she didn't want to say anything earlier because she was afraid it might sound a little suspicious. I think we're past that. Well, that and it, it's her own, it's, it's her, her own conscious, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. So police were telling anyone calling, you know, who who actually wanted to help out in you know the search for the the boys that there was nothing to do with them. So. Anyone around the office, because there were a couple of reports, they were like, you know, why are they telling people that there's nothing that they can do? Well, that ought to tell you right there. Police knew Susan was 
absolutely why. Right. That we don't need help. We know we she's full of shit. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We have our suspicions. So police brought in a very highly reputable sketch artist named Jean Boylan. Her sketch actually helped catch the killer of 12-year-old Polly Kloss. And Polly Kloss was oh, just such a sad, sad case. She was the victim of a murderer and child molester, Richard Allen Davis, in 1993. And that's yeah. maybe a story we'll, we'll end up covering. Another day. Another day. But yeah, her when they caught Richard Allen Davis, his sketch was almost identical to what he actually looked like. Mm. So it was, she was super sought after. Watch out, Susan. Yeah. Miss Boylan's on the case now. Oh, yeah. So when she first arrived to get Susan's description of the carjacker, she was sent away because Susan refused to speak to her. Margaret Gregory, a cousin of David's and the family spokesperson, I guess she was enabled her. Yeah. And they said, help us out. Hey, hey lady, you're going to be talking, right? Right. Kept sending Jean away, saying that Susan just wasn't interested. When she caught up with Sheriff Wells, she was pulled into an FBI police meeting where she discovered that no one on the team believed a word that Susan said. And now Susan's free at this point. She's at home. Oh, yeah. She's not. Well, they're not letting on that they don't believe right. her. Absolutely They're not. letting her just kind of spin herself out of control. You're exactly correct. Where I would be at. Yep. Yeah, right? Let's I just watch like, them hang from just, themselves. Just, 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 yeah. She's going she's she's to be just fine. Just watch her. <laughs> Give us about two more hours. We'll have everything we need to know. Right? So Susan and David appeared on television pleading for their children's safe return. And if you guys have not seen the speech, it's it's actually pretty disgusting. So she gets on TV and, and she basically says that, and I'm going to read what she says. She was like, I would like to say that whoever has my children, that they please, that they please bring them home to us where they belong. Our lives have been torn apart by the tragic events. I can't express how much they are wanted back home, how much we love them. We miss them. They are our hearts. I have prayed every day. There is not one minute that goes by that I don't think about these boys. I have prayed that whoever has them, that the Lord will let them, let them realize they have missed, they are missed and loved more than any children in this world. And whoever has them, I pray every day that you're taking care of them. And I know that we would do anything, anything to help you to get them home back to us. Then she goes on to say, I want to say to my babies that your mama loves you so much and your daddy and this whole family loves you so much. And you guys have got to be strong because I just know, I just feel in my heart that you're okay. You've got to take care of yourselves. And your mama and daddy are going to be right there waiting on you when you get home. I love you so much. I kind of vaguely remember seeing her and him on TV at oh, the same. time. Absolutely. Yeah. She's got tears. They got track suits on, which got to love the 90s. And that hair. And that hair. But yeah, she's got these he's crying like he's upset of course she is i don't know if she spit in her on in her face before she got like put some water on her face to make it look like it but she you could tell like maybe her eyes are let wet a little bit but she and she is trying so damn hard to get the tears out and they are just not coming i would not be able i would be unconsolable i could not 
sit oh. there and do that. Like it's making my eyes water up right now. Like I could not, I, I'd have to be drugged. I, I, I would just be like, someone else needs to do this. I yeah. can't do it. Yep. No, agreed. Absolutely. 100%. I don't, I, I think they had tried and tried and tried to get her to talk Yeah. to the press and she just wouldn't do it. Right. She wouldn't do it. And so finally they're like, come on guys, you know, you and David, you know, talking to Susan, got to get out there and, and speak. And she kept and, putting it off, putting yeah. it off. And, you know, that's just building their case. Oh, absolutely. Helping. Because that would be me. Case. I'm not yeah. going to. Nope. Because yeah. I would not have enough faith in my acting abilities <laughs> to oh. be able to pull that shit off. They'd be no. like, oh, that bitch is lying immediately. Yeah. Off the bat. She's lying. So anyway, yeah, there were no, no tears. There was, there was nothing. So this only solidified to Sheriff Wells and the whole investigation team that Susan was just full of shit. Police began interviewing her every day and dropping hints that they didn't believe her story. <laughs> so one, she's got to feel the walls closing in. At you, this point, I, you know, she's got to. I would hope so. When one investigator flat out accused her of lying, she lost her shit and screamed back at him. Police felt like she might be harder to crack than they first thought just because she was coming at him at this point. They wanted to be careful, though, because pushing Susan too hard may result in her attempting suicide again and, you know, succeeding. And then, you know, God knows they would never, ever find the kids after that. Police worked on her by getting her to trust the good cops, which were deemed Sheriff Wells and Pete Logan. He was a retired FBI agent. Good cop, bad cop scenario. Yep. I love a good cop, bad cop scenario. Yeah. Well, Pete and, and Sheriff uh, Wells were the good ones. And Pete met with Susan daily and went over and over and over the events of October 25th. And after each conversation, he'd hook her up to the polygraph and test her. And every damn test, she failed the most critical question. Do you know where your children are? And then back, she would just fail. God. So behavioral specialists who analyzed Susan began to put together a profile of a cool, cunning woman with a strong drive to succeed. With that profile and the Dear Jane letter that Tom Finley provided to investigators, they began to put together a motive. Greed and ambition had pushed her to get rid of her children. Right. On November 1st, a week after Susan's claim of the hijacking, Sheriff Wells met with a dozen or so reporters to tell them that police are digging through information they hadn't been able to get to yet in hopes that Susan was actually listening. They're rattling her cage. Yep, to unnerve her. They are, yeah, they are fucking with her. Yep. Good job. So the longer and more intense the media spotlight became, the more Susan was likely going to crack. So that was their train of thought, was like, let's rattle her cage and see if she doesn't lose her shit. Mm -hmm. They even went so far as to do a segment on America's Most Wanted, depicting an abductor on the loose with small children in tow. However, the episode never aired because on November 3rd, Susan Vaughn Smith confessed to the murder of her two little boys. There it is. Yeah. Really sad. So the morning she confessed, she sat beside her estranged husband, David, on the couch, proclaiming confidently on news outlets everywhere that she had nothing to do with her children's disappearance. Now, 
I think I remember at the time, and I didn't do any research, but I want to say I remember at the time that her husband was supportive of her and he was oh yes all the way up until literally she confessed. Yep. He, when she actually came out and confessed, he said at first he didn't believe it. He was like, no way. Yeah. He never once doubted her. Never once. Stood by her side 100%. Right. She said, I don't think any parent could love my children more than I do. And I would never even think about doing anything that would harm them. The truth has been told. I know that what the truth is, and I did not have anything to do with the abduction of my children. It's painful to have the finger pointed at you when it's your children. Whoever did this is a sick and emotionally unstable person. You got that right. I was going to say, at least she got preach that part it, right. Preach it to the choir. Right. So, um, and she said this on all the news outlets. Right. So this was the morning this that was the morning she confessed, of. right? Yep. It was just several hours later that Susan confessed to murdering Michael, who was three at the time, and Alex, who was just 14 months old. She had left home that night planning to drive around and then drop the boys off at her mom's house. But as she drove, she began to feel like her life was all wrong and she couldn't escape the torment she felt. She discussed all the horrible things that had happened to her up until now to include her abortion from, you know, the guy she was having an affair with. Right. The shit in high school, you know, where she was molested Mm -hmm. and how Tom Finley broke her heart. She's telling the police this. In her full confession, Susan said that she pulled off Highway 49 onto the road that led to John D. Long Lake because she was just ready to die. So she's setting this up as, you know... A suicide gone wrong. Right. I was going to kill myself. A failed suicide. Right. Right. Susan felt as though the children should be with her as they would be better off dead than motherless, which is fucked up. I mean, I can say if you're in, you know, and if anyone is suffering from depression or has suicidal thoughts, please reach out to somebody. But, you know, you're at your lowest low and you really don't care at this point. You're not thinking straight in the first place. Right. If you don't care about yourself, you don't care about anybody. Right. Anything. Exactly. Her plan consisted of killing herself with her boys. She pulled up to the boat ramp and put the car in neutral and rolled down the ramp and then stopped. She tried again. And again, and stopped. So she's in the car, and yep. she's trying to roll the car with her kids in the back seat and her in the front seat. And she's pulling up the emergency like brake. A, an emer- a yep. murder-suicide thing. Yep. And so you and I have been to the lake. Yeah. And when we went, it was super spooky. And, and I think it was just because we knew what was happening. But it was a dreary day. It it's was just... Freezing cold. It was cold. Drizzling. And it was just shitty out. And that ramp has been... You know, grass has grown over it since they actually did a renovation of John D. Long Lake um, just because of some other things, which we'll talk about in a minute. But it's just been renovated. And so there's grass over the ramp and it's not very steep. Well, and it took us a while to figure out that that was the the demographic of that lake has changed completely on that side. And, you know, you guys, it's. When I think of a lake, I think of like our lake, Lake Murray, a big ass lake. Which is huge. This is, I would consider this a large pond. To me, yeah. this is not a lake. Yeah, apparently it's. Get it, over yourself, Union. Yeah. Well, apparently, though, that they, you know, they've stocked it with fish. Mm-hmm. So people love going to that lake. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great fishing spot. And I'm sure in the summer it's nice 
to sit by the water. There's, I think, a little was hiking nice. trail. Yeah, I mean, it's was nice. Right. Yeah. It was super creepy, and the and I think the main key and what I'm trying to get a, to across here is that the the ramp is not steep. It was it was a very it was kind low of a very grade. slow slope. Yeah, very yeah. and I could, oh anyway I can imagine because it was cold it would have been what December it, November. It, well, it was October. October, so it was probably right around the time it was getting. It was probably getting cold, but not yeah. very cold. But um. So, yeah, she's in the car pulling up the emergency brake, putting it down, pulling it up, pulling it down. So, you know, I don't know how many times she's done this because, once again, the the ramp is not that long. Yeah. It's not that And it's not steep, steep at all. Right. It, is, it is a slow roll. Yep. So, so she, she had time to stop and start a hundred times. Right. So then she decides to get out of the car reaches inside the car and releases the emergency brake. During this whole time, she was confessing. She kept saying that she didn't mean for this to happen and that she loved her sons and that she was so very, very sorry for what she'd done. Of course, after that, she was, you know, promptly arrested right. and, and taken into custody. And now the case caused just a whole lot of racial unrest, you know, due to the fact that Susan claimed that there had been a a black man yeah that had carjacked her i remember i remember that too oh yeah yep well and and the funny thing was though they literally only stopped like two black men during this whole case and and really you know the african-american community before that because she had accused you know um african-american they were just outraged right and and very uh, outspoken protesting that white people need to quit blaming you know their crimes on them when mm -hmm. you know and i don't think at any point she thought that far through it it was like oh everybody would believe a black man do it i think she it just literally was came to her last minute it came to her last minute of what do i need to do what do i need to say and so i i don't think it was a racial motivation at all yeah i am um... I don't know. I don't think so either, especially she was, she just killed her kids, right? No, I, I really don't think that that was, I think that was she probably the last thing on her head. Yeah. So, but, you know, leaders across the U.S. praised Sheriff Wells and the Sheriff's Department on their handling of the case in the face of the crisis. Their respect for the African-American community was appreciated throughout the in investigation. They were very highly respected. Like I said, they only questioned two Flatman and they were had been in the area and I think they had had records yeah. and one of them I think had a car similar and so I think that's why they may have spoken to them but both Jesse Jackson and Bill Clinton called to congratulate Wells on his fantastic job handling the and, case and I would imagine too if I was an investigator if I was mm -hmm. Wells they probably know very quickly that this isn't smelling right you know so oh, they, yeah. they probably knew within the first few hours that the shit she right. was spewing was not right or right. truthful. Well, in some, you know, I was reading Susan Smith and the whole case and one of the, there was this African-American man, he called bullshit like immediately and said, you know, no black man is going to get in a car with two yeah. white kids in and take off. Toddlers at that, right? Right, like, and take off. No, I'm sorry. Ain't going to yeah. happen. And so he immediately called bullshit. Debunked which, it, right? Right, which I find hilarious. Well, divers and a tow truck 
were on site to pull the car out of the lake. Because once they had determined that, you know, she was telling the truth, they got divers and the tow truck. The car had actually overturned due to the weight of the car as it sank. Yeah. The heaviest part being the engine. And that caused the whole car to flip over with the roof sitting on the bottom of the lake. It took a full 45 minutes for the wrecker to pull the car through the mud along the bottom of the lake and into shallow water. Police actually had to unbuckle the children from their car seats in the backseat of the car and placed them in an ambulance and they were taken to the South Carolina Medical Center in Charleston. Which you guys is two, three hours away from yes. that lake. Yep. It is So imagine being the first responders that drove that ambulance down to Charleston. Oh my God, Charleston. I've got chills everywhere. Yeah. That would be the worst it is not a ride around the corner. It's a, it's a, it's a, That's a good a three hours. Yeah. From union, the autopsy performed the following day confirmed that the children were alive when Susan sent them down the boat ramp into the John D long Lake. It's just, Oh gosh. A diver for the South Carolina wildlife department uh, named Steve Morrow got on the stand as a prosecution witness he described the harrowing scene of how he had found the boys' bodies. He shined his flashlight through the murky water into the submerged vehicle and, quote, I was able to see a small hand against the glass, end quote. In a voice crackling with emotion, he described the car as having nosedived into the mud and he saw the boys' heads hanging downward in their car seats. Mm. Shortly after Susan confessed, Jay Carey Finley, who, again, he's the CEO of Conso and Tom Finley's father, issued a statement and posted in the hallways of his building that if any Conso employee spoke to the press about Susan Smith, they would be fired. Oh, wow. He also isn't hired... That like a, isn't that like a freedom of speech violation? I mean, I'm just tossing that out there. It could be wrong, but... Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't think, you know... If they volunteered to talk to the, I don't know. I don't know what the rules yeah. are. I, but yeah, I, I, when I first saw that, I was like, I don't, could he do that? But I mean, it's the nineties. I don't know. <laughs> so, Anything is possible in the nineties. Right? He also hired an attorney for a son, who issued a statement that while he did have a relationship with Susan Smith, he ended it on ten eighteen because he wasn't ready for the responsibility of being a father, among other things. And being a father was not the most important reason why he ended the relationship, which we all heard the letter. He said, yes, I am talking about your children. He didn't want to be a father. And I mean, that may have been the well, most she, important thing. And, and she was but, acting like a straight up slut. Let me just be, let me just say it. Oh, yeah. She, yeah. She, she admit, was she, a shit show. She had made out with another dude at their hot, at the hot tub party. He invited her to. Come on, now that's trash. Oh, absolutely. So, okay, on top of that, you're a shitty mother. Right, no. So yeah, now. I said it. Yes, I said it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. People were so upset about the loss of the boys that more than 700 flower arrangements from all over the United States were placed on the ground at John D. Long Lake. FTD Flowers then flooded a local flower shop with orders from all over the world. Governor Carol Campbell declared a statewide day of mourning. So 
I'm thinking about 700 flower arrangements in that small area. And, and at that oh. time, that one section yep. that we walked down wouldn't have been there. Right. Oh yeah. No. So it, there would have been no place outside of the parking, I think for anybody. To oh walk. yeah. It was it flooded. Been it was flooded. Completely filled. Well, they used to have a bulletin board and we'll post pictures guys so you can see it, but they yes. had a bulletin board and it was more towards, I think closer to the lake and not where it is now. And it was, it had flowers and the boys' yeah. pictures and there were flowers all around it. So yeah. they, they, I think they were everywhere. They, they switched that whole area up. Yeah. It, oh, it, yeah. it took us, we were there, I don't know, a couple of hours maybe. I mean, yeah, we trying there, to figure out like where we were at, where, where things for, really were. And it took yeah. us, it wasn't right until we were leaving and we found the memorials finally. Yeah. On November 7th, 1994, both Michael and Alex were put in white caskets with gold trim that remained closed during the funeral service. They were laid to rest beside David's brother at the Bogensville United Methodist Church in Union, South Carolina. I said Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Union is rubbing off on you. <laughs> right? Visitors started showing up to the church at 10 a.m., even though the service wasn't even scheduled to begin until 7 p.m. that evening. Oh, wow. More than a thousand people came through the church and some 700 presents were left including one from president clinton for the boys yeah during the service the four ministers that were presiding over the funeral didn't speak of susan one time good yep it was good. fantastic so on july 20th 1995 uh is when court started for susan's death. susan's defense team David Brooke and Judy Clark were super highly skilled and they actually were, were specialized in death penalty cases. So they were hired, I'm sure, by her mother and stepfather, you know, the guy who uh, molested her. Yeah. Um, to at least help. I could do. I know. At least, at least let me help you with your defense. Oh, I put your hand on my dick, but here, yeah, let here me you help go. you. They put forth a defense that Susan was mentally unstable and pointed to severe depression and dependent personality disorder as reason, you know, she committed the murders. Right. So I looked up what is a dependent personality disorder. So there's several symptoms or, you know, uh, behavioral uh, key things here. One is avoidance of personal responsibility. Um, another is difficult, difficulty being alone, which I think was absolutely her. Yeah. Well, and you know, that could have been brought on by her dad killing himself. Oh. You know, she was left by, you know, her father. Um, another was, is fear of abandonment and a sense of helplessness when relationships end. And clearly she was so upset, you know, with Tom for she, having, yeah. you know, said we're done. I mean, she didn't know what to do. And she killed her kids. Yeah. I mean, she killed her damn kids. Um, oversensitivity to criticism, which, you know. Which you can look at her response to his dear Susan absolutely. letter. And I don't feel if, I mean, and I believe that was quoted mm -hmm. that what you put in there. I don't feel like that was critical. I felt like he was just being honest. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And then um, it's pessimism and lack of self-confidence. Um, and then trouble making everyday decisions. Clearly. Yeah, that, that's an obvious. I feel oh like that's God. an obvious. So, 
Uh, her lawyer stated that she suffered various sexual abuses. I'm sorry, guys. We're chuckling because one of my coworkers brought their dog in. And Zippo. She, she's just, just, she just keeps running around. And it's a glass and room. And I'm like, oh, my God. I want to open the door. The dog just keeps going around in circles and then stopping and staring and then running off again. So <laughs> I'm sorry. She's adorable. I digress. Um, anyway, her lawyer stated that she suffered various sexual abuses at the hands of her stepfather, which we knew. Um, and that could have actually driven her to the point of insa insanity. All right. You know, delayed reaction insanity. Yeah. I, I think it's convenient. I mean, I'm not saying that she yeah. was not she clearly had problems, right? by what happened. But then you couple that with, mm -hmm. with her, uh, you know, her marriage. Yep. Then this Tom guy. Yep. I, it just, yeah, it's like the straw that broke this camel's back. She's her own worst enemy, though. She oh. did all of these things. Yep. You know what I mean? With the exception of her, her stepfather. Like well, that and she, I blame her mom. Well, I blame I blame all of them. Yeah. Because they're a big pile of steam and shit. Yeah, exactly. Trash bags, all of them. Yep. It came out during the trial that Beverly Russell, so her mm -hmm. stepfather, mm -hmm. and Susan had an affair Throughout her marriage to David, so she was sleeping and, with her stepfather and subsequent separation from him. So while she was married to David and then after she, they separated, she was sleeping with her stepfather. He admitted to having sexual encounters with her as recently as August 1994. So three months before she even killed Michael and Alex. Oh, that's gross. It's it's disgusting. I mean, it's it's gross. But I mean, is that a continuation of abuse, or is it? I know better. You know what? I think it's her, a real big question for me. I think it's unfortunate that you know back in the '90s, and and we're still learning now about mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. we, I mean, we really are. That oh, definitely. Yeah. She, nobody in her life was like, you need to talk to somebody. Oh no! I mean, apparently they went to counseling after. You know, he put his dick in her hand and he fondled her. But I mean, did, after that, I she mean, she didn't have the support of her mother, though. Clear, exactly. Yeah. And that was my point early on when I said her mom's a shithead. So, mm -hmm. anyway, so Beverly read aloud from a letter he'd sent Susan on Father's Day, 1995, when she was already in prison. Quote, You don't have all the guilt in this tragedy. Had I been true to you in my responsibilities, you would have been stronger in yourself, not needing to be constantly supported and reassured emotionally. My heart breaks for what I've done to you, for your pain and for your loss, end quote. Which, you know, congratulations for standing up and saying, No, fuck him. That, no, I'm no. being sarcastic. Because I'm thinking, why the fuck? You knew it was wrong the whole damn time, you dick. He only did that to clear his conscience. Oh, absolutely. He didn't give a shit about anybody else. Oh, makes me sick. In addition, Susan had confessed to being with a total of four men in the late summer of 1994. So she was with David, her mm -hmm. husband, mm -hmm. her stepfather, Beverly Russell. She claims that she had had sex with Jay Carey. Um, Finley, which is Tom's, Tom's dad, dad. and then funny. Tom. So that's four men. Now, J. Carey Finley very much denies 
having had any type of sexual encounter with Susan. But at this right, I think he's full of shit as well. She's like, I got nothing to lose. It seems like every man that she had come into contact with, and we'll see in a little bit, that she just turned the charm on. And for whatever reason, they felt like they needed to maybe take care of her or jump in the bed with her. I'm not real sure. Mm. So the defense tries to portray her as this gentle, kind, and caring person in light of what she had done. She had just snapped. She just lost her shit and thought, I'm going to roll my kids down a hill. I, I, I don't know. I, got I, feel like, I feel like if you, I don't feel like that's snap. I feel like snap no. is in the, like the bleak, like in that moment, I'm pulling a trigger and then like, not, I'm going to pull the emergency brake up. Right. On the Multiple times and yeah. go down the hill. Yeah. No, I agree. For Chief Prosecutor Tommy Pope, the case was just very simple. He said Susan was selfish, manipulative, and her love for herself was greater than the love she had for her children. I agree with that. They showed the court video of a sinking car recreation. The court watched in horror as it took a total of six minutes for the car, excuse me, completely submerged. One of the prosecutors said it was one of the most gut-wrenching, moving experiences he's ever felt in a courtroom. I bet so. I just I, can you imagine just, like, watching that car float, float, and then slowly sink? Two kids are in the back. And I would imagine You're they're screaming. screaming. Oh, yeah. Or crying. Yeah. You've got a little hand on the window. Mm. Don't tell me they didn't wake up. Mm-mm-mm. They also called upon a witness that said Susan had told her after Tom Finley had written her the Dear Jane letter, quote, sometimes I wonder what my life would be like without kids, end quote. So, sorry, got you right there. Yeah. Got you right there. That was premeditation. The prosecution also pointed out that on the night of the drownings, Susan was wearing Tom Finley's Auburn sweatshirt (laughs) and said to David, Quote, I hope you don't get mad if Tom Finley calls, end quote. Apparently, throughout the nine days she was supposed to be looking for her children, she had been trying to communicate with Tom the whole time. Prior to her confession, when she was talking with the behavioral specialist um, and the FBI, she said that she wished she could turn back time. Of all the things that she could wish for, if she could turn back time and take back telling Tom about his father, meaning their sexual relationship. Yeah, well, that's also another reason to, to quit dating someone. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. I, I mean, feel like that's a that wasn't That wasn't even in the letter. I, that would have been the only thing in my letter. You fucked my dad. Exactly. Well, and I don't know when. Gross. Well, I don't know when. Ever. It didn't want to matter. in that, but I, yeah, I don't know why that wouldn't have been in the letter, but. Anyway, so despite her mental issues, the abuse she had underwent, prosecutors pushed for the death penalty and felt that the horrific way she killed her children and then tried to cover it up was proof that she was aware enough of her transgressions and she really just deserved the ultimate punishment. Yeah. On July 28th at 1.55 p.m., the jury retired to the deliberation room and returned a verdict of guilty of aggravated murder at just 4.38 p.m., so only a couple of hours later. Yeah. And she was sentenced to life in prison with her eligibility for parole beginning after 30 years. And she never went to 
she wasn't in jail before this, right? She wasn't like she was. She had been in jail. Yeah. I mean, in prison when she confessed, they put her in jail okay. and then she had. But not until the then. She was out Correct. free until she said, hey, by the way, I killed yeah, my kids. Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. So, and you would think that's kind of where the story stops and ends, but it's not, guys. So just bear with us a little bit longer. Um, some crazy stuff with John D. Longlake, which I find super insane before we get back to Susan. On August 31st, 1996, seven people drowned, including a family of five from nearby Buffalo, South Carolina, in John D. Longlake after they came to visit the site where Susan drowned her children. I'm like, what in the hell? While parked and looking at the Smith's Boys Memorial, the parking gear turned loose and caused the Suburban to roll down the boat ramp and into the water. Five people had gotten out of the car when it started to roll down the embankment. So there's four children and one adult still inside. The truck plunged into 15 feet of water, drowning all those inside. Two people outside of the truck, including the wife and mother of four of the victims, went into the water to try to save them and also drowned. It's bothers my mind. I know. I'm like, what the fuck? We cannot figure this out. I mean. Well, neither can the police. Yeah. Because there were no skid marks. Like, zero. Um, no sign they even tried to stop the Suburban. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It, it doesn't pass the sniff test for me. No. Clearly there was no evidence of much mm-hmm. because they made no arrests. No. Oh, no. But so the people that died were Tim Phillips. He was 26. His wife, Angie, was 22. And their three children, oh, Courtney, four, Melina, 23, and Kinsley, who was four months old. And, and Tim Phillips was the one that was behind the wheel. Um, it also drowned another child, Cody Rudvoitz, which I apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong, but he was three. And then Carl Sidney White, who was 29. And so, I mean, all these people were just right around, yeah. you know, um, in the towns of South Carolina. But, you know, White, Carl White, and, and then the Angie Phillips, they they both jumped in to try to rescue the others and it just sucked them under. Yeah. It's just horrible. I can't imagine all those people just go to see a memorial and then they die. Right. I don't know. Anyway, I just thought that was spooky. It is spooky. Let's get back to Susan. This bitch has been, she's been in jail and her life and behavior has been very less than spotless. Right. She is a dirt bag. She's stained, tainted. Oh, she is a shit stain. Susan has been in trouble for drugs, sex, and self mutilation. You get in trouble in jail for self mutilation? I, I guess so. That. Well, yeah. I mean, you're being defiant, right? I mean, you live by rules. Get it over with. Yep. So in 2010 and 2015, she got in trouble for having marijuana. She's also had sex with guards, with prison guards including 50-year-old Houston Cagle, who was later jailed for three months for the affair. And then prison captain Alfred Rowe, who got five years probation. Now, both these gentlemen, which I use that term very loosely, were fired. Yeah. It was discovered she had been 
you know, engaged in sexual relations with Cagle after Susan tested positive for an STD. So Houston says he had, you know, of their relationship, she was approaching him at about three o'clock in the morning, one morning, telling him she thought I was, he was the nicest officer there was, and she was super lonely. And then things just escalated. I'm sorry. If that's all that takes to get you in, in the blade, then dear God, in 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 jail, I know it's not like you're going (laughs) hell, even to the backseat of a car, nothing like nothing that fancy. Right. It's like in the, I don't know where, where do you do it in the jail? (laughs) I mean, I guess you have rooms, right? No. Solitary confinement. I mean, (laughs) she would have been like at 3am. What is she doing? I know, but that's my question. How is she calling you and, and, and how does that happen? And, oh, I got, I've got so many questions. Yeah. All right. Well, so this one chick, I guess she was a a neighbor of Susan's in jail, like maybe a cellmate. Stephanie Hulsey told the national national Enquirer back in 2012 that Susan nearly killed herself at the age of 40 when she sliced slashed, she had something to her wrist with a smuggled in razor. So again, self-mutilation. Yeah. She said, quote, there was blood behind, spurting everywhere, and she was weeping, but she wasn't crying out in pain. She used to say, you don't feel pain when you cut. Cutting takes all the pain away, end quote. Yeah, she's going to be just a fabulous peach when she gets out. Right. Just a great person to welcome back into society. Right. So her, um, Halsey also recalled a jailhouse girlfriend who Susan kept in addition to male paramours with whom she kept in touch via letters. And dude, I'm going to tell you right now, I read there was one, there's one dude that just continually funds her, I guess that account that they get money in. So that, what do you call that? The canteen. Yeah. The canteen account. Um, and she gets like a thousand bucks a month from this dude. I wonder if it's anybody she like Tom or Tom's father. I don't or maybe her oh, stepfather. Keep her mouth shut. I don't know, but I mean, give me a break. Her lover is a big woman who looks like a man. She looking like a man. We'll she lo- <laughs> you looking like a man. <laughs> Who's that? Sixteen candles. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, and so the the one male pen pal, like I said, he keeps sending her money. So in 2015, she felt like she needed to speak mm. to the world. And she wrote, quote, the thing that hurts me the most is that people think that I hurt my children in order to be with a man. That is so far from the truth. There was no motive as it was not even a planned event. I was not in my right mind, end quote. And I don't think anybody gives a shit I think what she well, thinks because no, we all know she's lying. No, I agree. As for why she lied about what happened, Smith wrote, quote, I didn't know how to tell the people who love Michael and Alex that they would never see them again. I didn't want to hurt them. She didn't want to hurt people, but end she quote. wanted to kill her kids. Yep. She had planned on killing herself, you know, before the truth came out is what her, you know, her claim is. And in the handwritten letter, which I just read from, it was about a page and a half long. And, and what she said was, quote, only a small piece of the story, end quote. 
and it was signed sincerely susan now the only you know small piece of the story now this was 2015 we have yet to hear back right like what what else she got to say bitch so she is in um the prison and what's what's even more interesting is she's in prison with tammy uh, moore who we talked about in our first episode they yep. have the same other elvis yep they have the same job they same. have the same exact job so you know those bitches run across each other yeah and yeah and they probably like i wonder who's the baddest one i don't know i i know it's almost like like, I don't know, I, I probably... We need to put some stats on the back of some cars. We need to do that. We yeah. need to whiteboard that shit. Yeah, because I, I don't know which one's worse. But, um, so, t- or excuse me, Susan is in jail until she has her first parole in 2025. She is eligible in, you know, from... She had 30 years. Yeah. Um, her natural life sentence is, I guess, 30 years. 30 years. And so her first up for parole time is is 2025 which i personally don't think she's going to get out yeah i don't yeah you know i i mean i have seen crazier read crazier things mm-hmm. people who i don't know like i've i've got no skin in this game i i wouldn't be shocked if she stayed and i don't know that i would truly be shocked if she got out well i i feel like if she gets out she's going to be hated i mean she was the most hated woman in america in the world for that matter i i at a time, you know, when she was on yeah. trial, you know, many people felt for her and felt for their family and just to and then find like out morons after she absolutely, confessed. absolutely. Yeah. So we'll see. I I'm hoping personally, she doesn't get out. Um, I'm sure if she does, she'll probably move far away, change her name, like Carla Homolka. Well, they'll probably <laughs> put her in freaking witness protection somewhere. I don't know. Where... You know, I don't know. Carla Homolka didn't get witness protection. You know, she was the Ken and Barbie murders in yeah. Canada. She, her, that bitch is out. She has freaking kids and was volunteering at a daycare. Oh God, I hope she. So reproduce. that's like a whole other story. So don't get yeah. me started. But yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so this was the story of Susan Smith. I know it, it was pretty depressing. Um, we appreciate you guys for for hanging with us. We, we absolutely want to know your thoughts. Um, you can reach out to us via email at status at status mm-hmm. Check us out on Facebook, uh, status macabre, and then, um, at Instagram or at Instagram, Instagram and Twitter, you guys just status macabre. And also too, just a little tiny sneak peek into next week's episode oh yeah so i'm super excited yeah me too uh we're gonna be talking about israel israel keys thank you i was drawing a blank on his i saw your face you were like fuck i just like it's been what is his name what's his name (laughs) i only have pages and pages of shit that i typed up on him and i can't remember his name it's friday it is it's we're tired super tired but i'm i'm really excited i've got a ton of pictures oh yeah it's gonna be nutso yeah this this guy was all over the place unfortunately not in a realistic part of the country that chrissy and i could go visit so yeah (laughs) we're we're gonna unfortunately um, so the pictures that i'll be posting are going to be ones that i found online and have you know used from other sources but so yeah, exciting. So, um, yeah, check us out on check out the pictures and stuff on our um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we'll also put up up there on our 
um, website. Yeah, sensemacabre.com. Yep. And we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.